Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It's a real blessing that we can be here again, all together, to worship God. Welcome to all of you who are present here, and to those of us joining via the live stream. We pray that the preaching of the gospel message would direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour, Jesus Christ, and not leave us unchanged, but cause us to live our lives more and more to his glory. This afternoon, the worship service will be led by Reverend Poppy. Before we commence the worship service, let's sing together from Psalm 111, verses 1 and 4. Brothers and sisters, please rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise. We're going to sing together from Psalm 96, the verses 1 and 8.
The great thing that binds us together is the unity of faith that we have in Christ. Let's make a profession of this faith this afternoon with the words of the Apostles' Creed as set to music in hymn one. Pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Almighty God and Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, that once again we may come into your presence. Such an immense gift that our Lord Jesus Christ has secured for us. It's through his blood that he's paved the way for us to boldly approach the throne of grace to seek your help in our time of need. Father, we do need you. You are our God, and we are your people, and we need your help to know you, to love you, and to live in a relationship with you. You teach us that the greatest thing in the world is, is having this relationship, and yet within our hearts so often we, we sometimes allow other things to crowd out attention for you. We allow our hearts to set their, their attention on the things of this world. And in so doing, Lord, so often that leads us into distress. Thank you that you, you teach us about who you are, what you've done for us. And thank you, Lord, that you sent your Son, that we may be in Christ, and as those who are in Christ, that you renew us, you give us your Spirit, and you draw us into intimate relationship together with you. Father, we do love you, and we want to serve you as you call us to. And so we ask you for your help. Thank you that you give us your word. Thank you that we're able to open your word this afternoon once again. We pray for a blessing over the preaching of the gospel. Grant, Lord, that we may understand how rich we are as your people. Help us to understand the, the calling, the command that you give us. Help us to understand how you equip us to fulfill that command 
through the powerful work of your Son and your Spirit. Lord, we, we pray that your heart, that your word may be our treasure, and that we may hold it fast in our heart, and that in so doing, that we may draw near to you. We ask that you would forgive us for all our sins. We pray that you give us a, a blessed time of worship, that, we saw, that the songs that we sing and the prayers we offer, that the confession we make and the, the thank offerings we bring before you may be pleasing, that they may be acceptable in your sight, and that they're a good testimony of the love that we have for you in our hearts. We pray these things, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this afternoon, I get to uh, preach to you about the theme of joy. In our Word Bible study this year, we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Last time we saw that the fruit of the Spirit is love. And this Tuesday, we're hoping to have a Bible study. The fruit of the Spirit is... I'm sorry, we did love. Yeah, the second one was joy. So, joy. So, we get to do joy. And one of the passages that talks about joy is Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And just to put that into context, I thought it'd be helpful to read with you from Acts 16, when Paul first preached the gospel to those at Philippi. So we're going to read together Acts 16. You can find it in your guest Bible, page 1099. We're going to start reading at verse 16, and we'll read through to verse 40. So Acts 16, verse 16, there God's word says, and this is the Apostle Paul and Silas, it says, as they were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept This she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself! For we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. 
And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then they brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. Do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So far the reading of God's word. Let's now sing together. We'll sing from Psalm 34, the verses 1, 4, and 7.
The text for the sermon this afternoon is taken from Philippians 4. We're going to look explicitly, especially at verse 4 of that chapter. I thought maybe just to put that verse into context, it would be helpful to, uh, to read Philippians 4, verses 1 to 7. So we'll look at verse 4 especially, but I'll just read the context just to uh, set the stage there. Page 1166 of your guest Bible. In Philippians 4, verse 1, the God's word says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat, I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. After the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from hymn 44, the verses 1, 2, and 3. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, can you remember a time when your heart was filled with joy? Sometimes it's little things. Your lemon tree is loaded with lemons. Sometimes it happens that your little baby gets to say her very first words. Mum, 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 mum. get to buy yourself a new car you're a young man you saved and saved and saved and every time you get into the new car you get a, a whiff of that new car smell and it just fills your heart with joy or sometimes there's there's other things you've been eyeing a girl for a long time and you finally get the courage to ask her out and when you finally go out on a date with her then she tells you that she's been waiting a long time for you to ask her out and it's the best thing that ever happened to you and you're just filled with joy or you've been married for a few years and you're really looking forward to having children. And they don't come, and there's no child, and there's no child, and then one day you're expecting. And you have so much joy in your heart. And it's such a beautiful gift that God gives you. But the time comes when you're diagnosed with cancer. That's pretty serious. And you go through the treatments. The doctor says to you, I don't know how this is going to turn out. It could be pretty bad. And you go through the treatments, and they drag on, and it goes on, and it goes on. And you're weary. And you go back for more tests, and for more tests, and for more tests. And you're in the hospital, and you're out of the hospital. And then at some stage, you turn the corner. And things start looking better. And you go back to the doctor one day, and he gets the final test results back, and he says to you, you're cancer-free. 
You have no more cancer in your body. We don't expect you to get it back again. And so you don't have to come back to see me. Not next year, not the year after, maybe five years from now. Then come back and we'll test things and we'll see where you sit. What profound joy. There are times in life where our hearts are just filled with joy, where the Lord is so kind to us and he's so good to us. He does so many great things to us that we, that we have this, this great joy within us. But you know, the Lord doesn't only give good gifts. You know, there's other days where things are difficult. You get yourself a brand new phone and, and before you know it slips out of your hand and you crack the screen. Or you're in a place where your children don't listen to, it, to you when you discipline them. And you end up getting mad at them. You end up yelling at your children. You end up feeling really, really sad and guilty inside of yourself because of the times that you yell at them and the way that you're dealing with them. Or you feel a fair bit of pressure at work. You get a sense that your boss is not a good man. And there's pressure. And no matter what you do, no matter how you handle it, you're in this place where you just can't see it being any different. And it's just really hard for you. Or you have conflict in the family. You have a breakdown in relationship. And you try to set things well, and you try to talk to people, and yet you just can't figure it out. And it drags on and on. And it sucks the energy, and it sucks the joy. You've recently become a Christian, and there's significant pushback from family members. They feel they're losing you, and they feel that you're judging them because of the new choices that you make and the new life that you live, that you don't live the way that you used to, and you don't live the way that they're living. And so they get really mad at you, and they take it out on you. Well, it's not just in the good things, but it's also in the bad things that the Lord says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And you read that and you wonder to yourself, well, how do you do that? How do you make it happen? We understand the good days and we can rejoice in the good days. But what about those days when you're feeling weary or overwhelmed, when you're stressed, or anxious, or depressed, or even suicidal. How do you rejoice when life's difficult? Well, to answer the question, it's really helpful for us to put these words in the context of the book of Philippians. It's actually really interesting. This short little book, it's four chapters. One of the key themes of this book is the theme of joy. Paul uses the word 16 times in these four chapters. He just wants God's people to be filled with joy. And what's remarkable about these chapters is that they're not all gushing with goodness. It's not all butterflies and roses and sunny days. When Paul talks to the Philippians, he talks about a fair bit of hardship and a fair bit of difficulty that they face in their lives. And yet in the midst of all that, he teaches them about how you can be joyful. Despite the sin, the suffering, the self-righteousness, Despite the conflict and the division, there's still reason for joy. So how is it possible? What's the secret? Well, he tells us the secret is in Christ. He calls you to rejoice in the Lord. And so that's the theme for this afternoon. Find joy in the Lord and do it again and again.
and again. And so we'll see in the first place how Paul does it, and then secondly, how he calls us to do it. Now when you hear that one of the key themes of the book of Philippians is joy, you might be tempted to think that things started out really smoothly in Philippi and that things developed really well for Paul. We just read together from Acts 16, Paul gets to Philippi, and it didn't start out all that smoothly. When he first shows up there, then he's preaching the gospel, and the very first part of the story, I didn't read it with you, I could have done that, but the very first part of the story is that he goes and he, he preaches, and there's a number of people who follow him. And so he has a few converts. But then what happens is that very quickly, he ends up in this place where he has this opposition. He has this woman, this girl, who's, who's following after him. And day after day after day, she's yelling. And she tells everybody she can that, that they're preaching about Jesus Christ, and this is the way to be saved. And you kind of get the sense that the apostles can hardly do their work because this girl is always standing there and yelling. And so at one stage, then Paul casts the evil spirit out of her. That's for another sermon sometime, but this woman could foretell the future. And so Paul casts the evil spirit out of her while her, her masters, they get really mad because all of a sudden their source of income is gone. This woman is not going to tell anyone's future. They're not going to get any money. And so they get really mad. They, they drag Paul and Silas into the marketplace and they start throwing accusations. Well, Paul and Silas, the very first thing that happens is the magistrates, they rip their clothes off and then they beat them with many blows, it says, with rods, and then they imprison them. Well, just imagine. I would imagine that if that was to happen to any one of us, it would be a pretty significant life-changing event. Like that would probably define part of our identity. It would be really easy to feel sorry for yourself. Like I'm the guy who had to be beaten you know, first they stripped me naked, then they beat me, and then they threw me in prison for no reason. All I did was, was share the gospel. And yet it's so striking, when, when they end up in prison, the very first thing you read about is that they're praying to God and they're singing songs. It doesn't sound like Paul's joy is gone. How can you be singing if you have no joy in your heart? Well, he rejoices despite the circumstances. And how is it possible? Because he knows the Lord. He trusts in God. The Lord has this in hand. This is not outside of God's power. This is something that the Lord has brought about, and the Lord can work this for good. And that's amazing. When the earthquake happens, when the prison door flies open, the, the, uh, the jailer, he's thinking that everybody else escaped, and so he's about to kill himself, and Paul yells out to the man, he says, hey, don't do it, we're all still here. And Paul and Silas, they minister to this jailer, so that he comes to faith in Christ. When Paul wrote the letter, about ten years later, it's not as if everything was smooth. You know, at the time, Paul, again, had issues in his life. He actually wrote the letter when he was in prison. He talks about that. Chapter 1, verse 12 to 14. By this stage, he'd been in prison for years and years. He was arrested, first brought to Agrippa, then he went up to, to Felix. Felix left, Festus became the, next, became the next governor, and in the end he got sent off to Rome. And so he'd been in prison for years, and there was a bunch of these men who had said, there's no basis for an accusation against him. 
The Jews are just trying to take one on, out on him, but he's not really guilty of anything. If he hadn't appealed to Caesar, we could let him go tomorrow. Yet Paul is still sitting in prison in Rome. For many years, he'd been in custody with the Romans. Yet how does he make sense of it? He's not depressed, but he sees a silver lining. Philippians 1 verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The Lord has a purpose in his imprisonment. And so in verse 18, he says that he has joy in his heart. He rejoices that Christ is preached. And he rejoices that the Philippians are praying for him. Because he says, I know that if you pray for me, that the Lord will answer your prayers, and that's going to lead to my deliverance. And so the suffering that he endures, it doesn't steal his joy. He's able to rise above it because he fixes his eyes on the Lord Jesus. And he understands that God has his hand in this and that God works it out for his good. And you know, when Paul wrote this letter, it wasn't only the, the apostle himself who was suffering, it was also the Philippians. One of the problems they faced was opposition. It's in the last verses of Philippians 1 that Paul encourages them that they ought to be standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in any way by your opponents. And Paul tells them, it had been granted them not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for him. And so Paul shows us that the opposition he first faced when he came to Philippi and when he started preaching the gospel in Philippi, wasn't the only, he wasn't the only one who experienced that, but the believers in Philippi, they also lived through that. They, they faced this opposition. And so Paul called them to be of one mind, to work together. Well, if there's anything that steals your joy, it's when people hate you, when they're deeply opposed to you. You know, sometimes you're in that space. You have a coworker who literally hates you. He slanders you. He steals credit for your work. He sabotages you. He does whatever he can to make your life miserable. Or sometimes we have family members who are in that space. There's just a real deep division that happens between family members. And sometimes they say and do things to make life as miserable as possible for their other family members. So much criticism and judgment. You twist the truth. You say things. You lay guilt trips on people. It's just a really difficult place. And what's even worse than that is if the people who are opposed to you are supposed to be on your side. If they're fellow brothers and sisters. In Philippians 2 verse 3, the apostle admonishes the believers that they should have the same mind and the same love. They should be in full accord and of one mind. In the very next verse, he says, they ought not to do anything out of rivalry or conceit. And so it seems that there were some people who were proud. They had this selfish ambition that caused distress among the believers in Philippi. And Paul gets back to it in 2 verse 14 he tells them to do everything without grumbling or complaining. 
And he carries on the thought in chapter 4, verse 2. He calls these two women in the congregation, we read about it, kind of unique names. You wouldn't give that to your baby today. Euodia and Syntyche. He told them to quit fighting and to get along. Well, obviously, there's, there's this conflict. There's distress within the people in the congregation. And that's really hard. How do you deal with that? You know, just imagine real life that you have that, brothers and sisters. You come to church and you have people who really, you have deep, you're deeply opposed to them. You're in deep conflict with them. If you live in a church where there's, where there's conflict, where there's polarity, where that gets really serious, then the Sundays, it's supposed to be the best day of your week. It's supposed to be the day you come to church and you worship God and you are together and you have peace and unity. And yet you come to church and there's so much fighting. And you hate it. And it, it steals your joy. You have no desire to be in church. Sunday becomes the worst day of the week because of all the terrible things that happen. Well, if you're in that place, then it's really easy to lose your joy. Well, how can Paul say it? How does he say, rejoice in the Lord always? I will say it again, rejoice. How do you figure it out in those kind of circumstances, brothers and sisters? Or maybe in your circumstances. You know, sometimes we have to deal with grief. We grieve the loss of loved ones. Sometimes we're estranged from family members. Sometimes we have a lot of pain in our lives. Sometimes our plans don't work out the way that we hoped. It kind of feels that life passes you by. You miss out. Sometimes our children reject the faith. What do you do? Do you become stoical? Do you pretend these bad things didn't happen? You're supposed to suppress your feelings, put a smile on your face, and get on with it? Fake it till you make it? It's not what God says. It's not what he's saying here. He doesn't call you to pretend that bad things don't happen. He doesn't call you to, to fake being happy. Now sometimes we, we put pressure on each other. If you are grieving, then we kind of pressure each other, you know, get it together. You know, you should be happy, you should have joy in your heart, so just get past this and move on. Yet it's really interesting in the scriptures, there's quite a balance. There are days when we grieve, and there are difficult things that we go through. And in those days, then the Lord, he also gives space to that. He calls us, for example, in Romans 12, he says that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. We are to mourn with those who mourn. And he calls us to walk alongside of life with each other. One of the, the words that's used often in the New Testament, the word parakaleo, it means not only to, to admonish and encourage or not only to admonish, but also to encourage. We are called to show compassion towards one another, to be gentle with each other, to be tender with one another. If someone's struggling, then you who are spiritual, then you help him with a spirit of gentleness. And so the Lord, he doesn't ask us to pretend that bad things don't happen. He doesn't call us to, to deny the grief that we experience and that we feel 
Our Lord Jesus Christ himself, he, he wept when Lazarus died. And the scripture tells us that, it's back in Genesis 6, the Lord grieved when he saw the evil that man was committing, when he got to a point where he had to wipe off people off the face of the earth. And so how do we rejoice in suffering? Well, the reason God says you can do this is because there is a deeper reality that stands underneath your present circumstances. The most important thing is that you have the Lord. You are the people of God. No matter what happens, you belong to Christ. The Lord says to you that all his spiritual blessings are given to you in Christ. When you believe in Jesus Christ, he says that I'm going to give you everything that you possibly need. I'm going to care for you today. I'm going to look after your physical, material, your needs. And spiritually, I'm going to bless you in every way. I'm going to, I'm going to adopt you into my family. And I'm going to give you faith. And I'm going to carry you through the difficult things. I'm going to comfort you in the hard times. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you the spirit of Christ living within your heart. I'm going to remake you into a new person. I'm going to give you a glorious future together with me. Despite the present circumstances, you have something that stands underneath of that, that no one can take from you and that nothing can rob away from you. You are in Christ. And as those who are in Christ, you have the most precious thing in the world. If you want a, a sense of it, brothers and sisters, maybe it's helpful to realize that this isn't the first time that, that Paul tells the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. The first time is actually back in chapter 3. If you go to 3 verse 1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And the context there in Philippians 3 is that he addresses the biggest issue in his life. So Paul himself, he grew up as a Jew, and he was, he was a Pharisee. And so for the Pharisees, the most important thing was obeying the Torah, obeying the law of God. You needed to know the law and you needed to, to follow it meticulously. And these Pharisees, they spent their whole life, like literally endlessly, they were interpreting the law, and they were, they were debating with each other how you were supposed to do that in the right way. And the Apostle Paul says, he says, you know, this is my history, this is who I am. He says, if you want to know, like, anyone who would qualify to be right with God, it would have been me. Like, I was an Israelite. And I came from the elite, the elite tribe of Benjamin. And I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was somebody who grew up as a Pharisee. From my youth, they drilled it into me what I needed to know. And he says, I obeyed the law meticulously in every detail. As to legalistic righteousness, he says, I was faultless. I never sinned. I did everything right. But then what does he say? He says, when I look at all that... He says, it's nothing. I regard it as rubbish. I throw it into the trash compared to the, the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. Well, maybe you've grown up in a family, and your family, your parents, they set a standard. They said, this is how you're supposed to live in order to be acceptable. And they talked about that standard. And they imposed that standard on you. 
And you grew up in a family where we had a very clear sense that you needed to do certain things in order to be right with God. You needed to do certain things in order to be acceptable to your parents. And your parents would, they would criticize and dismiss anyone else who didn't meet that grade. We grew up in that kind of family. And your whole life, you're trying to meet the grade. You're trying to meet the standard. And then one day you realize that you're already accepted. That God accepts you. Not because you meet the grade, but God accepts you in Christ. Because Christ has met the grade. Christ had 100%. And all you need to do is to say, hey, I'm with him. His righteousness applies to me. And so when you get to know that, there's a profound freedom. There's a profound joy. All the weight of self-righteousness, it washes off your back because you don't have to worry about any of that. Because at the end of the day, you are accepted before God. Because for Christ's sake, he is your God. And you are his son. And when you come to understand that, there's this profound joy that rests on you. Your heart is just celebrating God, who God is, and what God has done for you in Christ. And then nothing else matters. Then you go through the ups of life, and you go through the downs of life, but deep in your heart, you know that you're right with God. Because Christ is your Lord, and because you belong to him. Well, that's where Paul is. He warns against those dogs, those evildoers, that think that you can become right because of what you do. In the end, he says, there's a profound joy in being in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Well, knowing Christ, it brings you into such a freeing, such a lively, such a delicious place, brothers and sisters. Your heart is filled with joy because he loves you. He did everything that's expected of you. He promises to look after you. He's going to give you everything that you ever need. He'll help you through every difficulty. And he'll turn everything to your good. And he says that in the end, he's going to bring you into glory. Well, Paul knows it. Deep down, the core of his being, he has this joy. He's arrested, he's beaten, he's thrown into prison. Well, that's okay, because Christ has it in hand. He's singing his heart out in jail. And later on, he gets thrown back into prison because of other false accusations. And it gets dragged on and on and on. So for years and years, he lives in prison. Well, that's okay, he says. Because in the end, he says, the whole of Caesar's household, the whole of the imperial guard, they get to hear the gospel because I'm in prison. In Philippians 1.20, he says that he might actually die. But he says, really, that's okay. Actually, that's really good. Because if I die then I get to be with Christ. He says, for me, to live is is service for you, but to die is gain for me, because then I get to go home and I get to be with my Savior. And so no matter what happens, Paul says, he's got joy in his heart. And he turns it around, and he says, the same thing is true for you. And it's really interesting in our text here, brothers and sisters, he doesn't say, Rejoice in your Savior, Jesus. He also doesn't say rejoice in Christ. But he says, rejoice in the Lord. 
And the catechism students, he'll be able to tell you, Lord means ruler or master. It means a position of authority. Christ has been put into this position of authority. And so when there's a calling to rejoice in the Lord, you're calling that you're under the authority of Christ. And the Apostle Paul, he worked that out back in chapter 2. He, he calls the Ephesians, or sorry, the Philippians there. He tells them that their, their attitude is supposed to be the same as Christ Jesus. And then he, he talks about what Christ did. Christ humbled himself very deeply to the very deepest anguish and shame of hell. And it's because he did that that God gave him the highest glory. He received the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ is Lord. He has the power. And so nothing's outside of his authority. Nothing happens outside of his will. He knows you, and he loves you. And he guides and directs your life exactly as it has to be to make you into the kind of person, to put you in the kind of circumstance that he needs for you in order to bring you to glory. And sometimes that's beautiful things. And other times, it's really hard things. But in the middle of that, he says, focus on me and have joy in me. Well, can I ask you, to reflect on that in your own heart, brothers and sisters? Where are you really at? You walk into church here this afternoon and you're in the middle of life. You have joy in your circumstances? Do you have this deep thrill down in your heart because of all that Christ has done for you? Or does it maybe happen to you that, that you've lost a sense of joy? You know, it can happen that, that the rest of life gets pretty important and that the rest of life threatens to overwhelm you and to steal your joy. You now, some people, they get to the stage that they, they grumble and they complain. They're pretty critical. Sometimes they're cynical. Some people even become bitter because of the way life has turned out. Or maybe I can ask you, do you need to repent? Do you need to confess that to the Lord? To ask him for his help? Can I ask you that tonight before you go to bed, that you pray to God? That you ask God to give you eyes to see if there is any way in which you are feeling grumpy? And if you are, that you confess that to him and you ask him for his grace and for his forgiveness for that? And I ask you to resolve to remember who you are in Christ, what it means to be in Christ, and about how rich you are in Christ. You might be thinking, well, that sounds really nice, Pastor, but you don't know my life. You don't know the struggles that I have to deal with. You don't know the difficulties that I've been through. That's true. I don't know. There are many things that you'll be dealing with that I have no clue. It's really important to, to remember about this joy. It's actually a command here. It's an imperative. 
So there's a form of the verb in the Greek that comes as a command. God's saying, you must rejoice. He's not saying it's, it's nice if you get there, but he's saying, this ought to be your experience. This is something you need to do. And the reason it's a command is because it's not something you do in your own strength, but it's something that the Lord works out for you. You may remember Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and all the rest. It is a fruit of the Spirit. It is the Spirit of Christ who works joy in our hearts by the power of Christ. When the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world, if you want to talk about suffering, if you want to talk about a hard life, if you want to talk about difficulty, then the Lord Jesus Christ endured that. He had the most difficult life that anyone could ever endure. It's not only the, that his family rejected him, it's not only that the church leaders wanted to get rid of him, it's not only that his, his disciples abandoned him, but his own father poured out his wrath against him. And in those three hours, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was in that space where he bore the eternal wrath of God against all our sins. And yet he was never grumpy. Never rebelled against that. He never became cynical. He never rejected God's purpose. It's in Hebrews 12, verse 2, that it tells us about his approach to this situation. He had great joy. We are called there to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross and he despised the shame for the joy that was set before him. He knew that the Father had a glorious future in store for him. He knew the plan that the Father had planned for him and he was okay with that. And he focused his eyes on that joy and so he lived through it. And in the midst of all the suffering, he experienced the joy of God. He lived in joy. And now he says, he says, if you believe in me, if you look to me in faith, he says, I can help you. And I can do it for you. It can be hard. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, it gets really hard. And when it's really hard, the Lord, he doesn't, he doesn't deny that, that reality. Now, it's especially those, those people who experience profound pain. And if that's inflicted on them by other people, if there's a injustice and oppression, and if people experience just really harsh things that happen to them, then it can really steal their joy. Yet in the middle of all that, the Lord carries his people. He doesn't abandon you. He doesn't forsake you but he helps you through it. And he restores the joy. When you look at the Psalms, it's not quite a third, but it's almost a third of the Psalms, they're songs of lament. They're people who, who have had enemies attack them. They have had family members who, who rejected them. They have had profoundly difficult experiences that they've had in their lives, and they're deeply lamenting the difficulties that they experience. And they don't always end in joy. There's a couple of them. You have Psalm 88, Heman. There's not a hint of joy. But even in that psalm, you get the one thing that every other psalm has. Heman brings his struggles to the Lord. And he knows that the Lord is God. And that the Lord does love him. And that the Lord will care for him. 
And so even though he says that the darkness is his closest friend, his security, and the love and the care and the compassion of his father. And so sometimes we go through these hard days, brothers and sisters, and the Lord carries us. But it gets really hard. The Lord doesn't abandon you. He carries you through that. And he brings you out of that. And he brings you to a new place where there is light and where there is peace and where there is joy once again. That is his, that is his joy. That's who he is. That's what he does. Christ is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He first gives us faith. Then he brings us to the maturity of faith. And so we look to him. And then we have joy. And if you have joy, brothers and sisters, then how do you express that? Well, you've got to sing. If you have joy, you sing and you sing and you sing. You open up the Psalter, and so many of the Psalms in the Psalter, they're songs of joy because of who God is and because of what God has done. As the people of God, they focus their attention on the Lord, then the natural reaction is that they sing. They sing praise, and they give thanks, and they honor, and they glorify, and they ask for help, and they trust God. And so this is what God calls you to do. He calls you to sing, to give thanks to him, and to glorify him. Let's sing our heart out. Let's do it with hymn 44, the verses 1, 2, and 3. Amen.
Let us pray to God. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we do have much joy in our hearts. Christ is our Lord, and we are your people. We belong to you, and he is our Savior. Thank you so much that we are righteous in Christ. Thank you that you accept us for the sake of our Savior, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that for his sake, that you pour out every spiritual blessing upon us, that you give us peace and joy and hope, that you give us faith, that you show us your love, that you promise us a glorious future, that you give us your spirit. Dear Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us to focus our attention on the blessings we have in Christ and how rich we are in him. And we pray that you would help us to have a profound joy within us because of what Christ has done for us. Lord, we must confess to you this afternoon that at times we lose that focus. Sometimes we get caught up in the circumstances of our lives. And sometimes they steal our joy. There are difficult things that have happened. People have sinned against us, and we have sinned. And sometimes we struggle with guilt. Or we struggle, Father, because of oppression or injustice. Sometimes it happens that we, we have things where things really don't turn out for us in the way that we'd hoped. We have to deal with deep disappointment. Lord, in the midst of those circumstances, we ask that you would help us, that we not grumble, that we not complain, that we don't live a life of, of jealousy and, and covetousness, that we don't live a, a life where, where we always want something different and something better. Rather, Lord, we pray that you would work within us, that we're able to, to still the, the voices in our head, the disquiet in our soul, and that we do that by remembering the more foundational things that you have done for us in Christ. It's not to say that we have to deny our experiences. It's not that we have to, to deny our emotions, to pretend that things didn't happen. But rather, Lord, grant that that our greatest emotion can be around you and grant that the greatest emotion can be one of joy and gratitude for the riches we have in Christ. Please bring us to spiritual maturity and please help us in that. And at the same time, Lord, then we also pray for those who are struggling. There are some who struggle, especially with, with mental health difficulties. For some people, life is pretty dark and there's, there's real struggles in their minds. And that can be a very difficult thing. And we ask, Lord, that you would help them with that, that you carry them through that, that they may bring it before your throne of grace, that they may trust you to help them, and that they can have confidence in your care for them for Christ's sake. And we pray, Lord, that you bring them to the point that they can again have joy in their life, that they can come through this, and that, you, that a new day would dawn upon them, and that the light of your face shines upon them, and that they're able to see it, that they can remember and experience how rich they are in Christ. Lord, we also pray that you be with those who grieve the loss of loved ones. Some members of our congregation have lost loved ones not long ago, and that's a really difficult thing to, to come to grips with. We pray, Lord, that you would be a father to your people, that you comfort them, and that you, that you remind them of the promises that, that they have in Christ, that you help them through the sadness and through the loneliness of it. Help them to remember that they're never alone, for you are always there. And help them not to be overwhelmed by the sadness, but to find peace and to find joy in you once again. 
Father, we also pray that you help, help us in all the other circumstances that we experience. There are many disappointments. There are many times where things, we wish things were different. Thank you that we may know of your providence. Thank you that we're secure in your love. Thank you that we can, can rest secure, that you will always do what's very best for us, and that we, we never have to be grumpy or complain against you. Please forgive us, Lord, for the times where we have, and please show us your mercy for Jesus' sake. And then, Lord, we, we pray that, that we may be a congregation that sings. Please grant that we can sing with our children. Grant that we, we spontaneously break out into song in the, the great gifts that you give us. Grant that in our devotions that we make time for songs, for singing, that we regularly sing, that we give expression to the, to the gratitude and the joy that we have. Grant, Lord, that we're especially comfortable with your psalms. You give us the psalms as, as a means to express our emotions to you and to find peace with them. And there's so much wisdom in your psalms. And so we pray that you help us to know the psalms and to, to take them to heart and to sing them before you. Thank you also for others who've gone before us, so many beautiful hymns that we may know of other believers who, who've given expression to, to the emotions of their hearts and who, whose words we can use to also rejoice in you and what you have done for us in Christ. Father, we pray that you, you help us to be a congregation that also encourages each other, that we don't have many conversations that, where we encourage one another to grumble, but rather that we may have many conversations where we encourage each other to remember who we are in Christ and what you have accomplished for us in Christ, and grant that this may be the, the spirit among us, so that there is great joy among us, and that there's light, and that the light of the glory of, of our Lord Jesus may shine through us. Father, we pray that in our families, that our families can be places where our children grow up and they, they have a joyful childhood, but they have a lot of joy in their hearts because of who you are and what you've done. And we also pray that as others come to know us and as they meet us and as they come to worship with us, that they're also able to experience the joy of faith. Thank you, Lord, for the many new believers that you brought to us. And thank you that they have such a clear understanding of what you've accomplished for them in Christ and for the great joy that they have in that. And we pray, Lord, that if there's any among us who, who lacks joy, that we can also learn from that, that we remember what are the important things in life and that these new members may be a great blessing to us. Thank you for bringing them to us, Lord, and thank you for the blessing that we can be to each other. That's really a, another testament of your kindness towards us. Pray that you bless us in the coming week, Lord. Each one of us has a different task. We're in a different place. Thank you that you put us there. Give us joy in the work that you give us to do. Give us joy in our families. Just give us joy, Lord, in the, all the responsibilities that we have. Help us to, to live by faith, to rely upon Christ to be the author and perfecter of our faith, and to live out this faith in every facet of our lives. We pray that you would do these things in the forgiveness of our sins for Jesus' sake. We also want to ask you, Lord, that you would please be with our missionaries. Grateful that we could meet with the cooperating supporting churches this past week. Grateful, Lord, for the great support that there is for mission. We're thankful also for the work that's being done on the field by our missionaries, by the mission aid worker, also the work being done at the Reformed Bible College in Papua New Guinea. Father, we ask that you would please bless the work there. Please grant that the preaching of the gospel may continue, and please bring many more people to faith. And we especially pray, Lord, that you also bring to maturity some of the leaders of the church, that they can step into positions of leadership 
that they're able to lead and guide your people to know what faith looks like real life, that they can be an example for others, and that many people can, can grow close to you through this. Father, you are the one who gives maturity in Christ. And you do that through your word and spirit. And so we pray for rich measure of the spirit going out and of your word going out. Please bless our missionaries as they also assist in this. Thank you for your, your love and care for them. And please keep them safe. And please do it for Christ's sake. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we just prayed for the mission work in Papua New Guinea. At this time, we're also going to have a collection for this work. You have the opportunity to, to support our missionaries in Papua New Guinea. Then after that, we're going to sing together to rejoice before the Lord for the blessings to us, hymn 78, verses 1, 2, and 4.
Receive now the blessing of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.